live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Feel free to chime in on social media at Rich Valdez or give us a call. Uh, you're welcome to call in the first hour, second hour, or third hour of the program. The number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And uh, in the news today, we've got a new challenger to Joe Biden for the presidency. No, it's not Donald Trump. This is a Democrat challenger with a political dynasty behind him. That's right, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has thrown his hat into the ring to become president of the United States. And I think this is an interesting story uh, because, well, we, we I didn't see that one coming, right? I didn't uh, think that he would be uh, getting involved. The guy could have gotten involved a million years ago, and he never did. But this is where we are. The paperwork with the Federal Election Commission was filed earlier today. Kennedy, of course, is the late son of U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy and nephew of the late President John F. Kennedy, and now is the second Democrat to toss his hat into the race for the White House, joining uh, spiritual advisor and author Marianne Williamson in seeking the party's nomination. Now, uh, one of RFK Jr.'s advisors, wouldn't independently confirm his candidacy, but told Fox News uh, that the campaign would issue a statement tomorrow. So Kennedy, of course, is a former environmental lawyer. He describes himself as a lifelong Democrat that's faced criticism for his activism against COVID-19 and the uh, subsequent vaccines. That sparked a lot of speculation about his potential White House run after releasing his book and all of his criticism on that and visiting New Hampshire. Um, So for over a century, obviously, the New Hampshire primary was the first in the nation primary. That's uh, now changing. Anyway, here's a quote. It says, I'm thinking about it. I've passed uh, the biggest hurdle, which is my wife has given me the green light, Kennedy said, at an event in New Hampshire at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics, which for more than two decades has been a must-stop um, for any actual or potential presidential contender from any party. So he took aim at the Biden administration and Democrats and the DNC over their decision to move the New Hampshire uh, presidential primary out of its position as first in the nation. And now the state will be the second in the nation with the DNC calendar going along with Nevada. Uh, Three days later, South Carolina with their new schedule. So that's the story now. Uh, RFK. Now, is he serious? No. Do I think this is outstanding? Absolutely. Now, I don't mean he's not a serious candidate. I don't think that the Democrats will take him seriously is what I mean. Right. I think he's a very serious candidate. And um, shoot, uh, you know, sometimes that type of name recognition is exactly what you need, especially in a time like this. Right. I think there's a lot of people that look at Biden and they go, well, you know what? He's our Kennedy. A lot of people that are like, I've been a Democrat my whole life. My parents are Democrats. We're all Democrats. And they still see the party as a very blue-collar, pro-America, family-friendly party. 
that has some radicals, that has some liberals, that has, you know, some within the left in the party, but it doesn't define the party. A lot of people still see the Democrat Party that way. However, I don't. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of people that would agree with me. And all we have to do is look at some of the policies that come out of Washington. And we know that Joe Biden is not that kind of Democrat. So I think there's space for a Democrat like that. You know, even if Manchin is not that type of Democrat, he also had a shot to try to position himself as a, um, a blue dog Democrat or just, a you know, a a not radical, crazy Democrat. And I guess he passed on that uh, or we'll make an announcement later on. Who knows? But that's uh, where we're, we're at with RFK Jr. Robert F. Kennedy. Now, in other political news, let me see if I find this fast because this is uh, a pretty funny story. The election for mayor has happened in Chicago, and it turns out that they've now elected somebody that many believe is worse than Lori Lightfoot. Who would have thunk it? I know that's not a real word there, but yeah, who would have thought that that actually would be the case? I I think that's such a funny story. And again, not funny because of the outcome. Obviously, a lot of people are going to suffer because of that, but funny because, shoot, who thought you couldn't, you know, anybody would have thought, at least I would have imagined, that anyone would be an improvement compared to Lori Lightfoot, who uh, many have called Beetlejuice. And I know that I I, I tarnish my reputation when I make fun of people and call them names and ridicule them and that it takes away from uh, my serious nature. Get over yourself. I don't have a serious nature. But anyway, yeah, Lori Lightfoot, uh, obviously she couldn't get enough uh, gravitas to to get out of a primary. And now uh, it looks like they've made a decision. So more on that a little bit later. But I wanted to touch on this uh, story in the Wall Street Journal uh, before we get into some of the other stuff we're going to discuss tonight, and that's China. China is warning and warning and warning. They're very upset. They've been warning since yesterday. We didn't do a whole lot on this yesterday because of all the Trump breaking news, Uh, but they're very upset about Speaker McCarthy agreeing to meet with the leader of Taiwan, and he met with the leader of Taiwan at the Reagan Library in Simi Valley, California, and... um, Now uh, people are thinking, oh, how is China going to retaliate? They said, if you meet with them, how dare you? But that happened. Taiwan President uh, Tsai Ing-wen and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, they they had this meeting and a path-breaking meeting, as it's written here in the uh, Wall Street Journal, that drew swift condemnation and threats of unspecified retaliation from Beijing. Wednesday's discussions with Mr. McCarthy marked the highest level political meeting a Taiwanese president has had while in the U.S. The California Republican brought members of Congress from both political parties to see Ms. Tsai and highlight the broad American support for Taiwan. Their discussions... Uh, the Congress member said, made clear the need to ensure the sale and delivery of weapons to Taiwan to boost trade and investment and promote democracy and other shared values. Uh, There's a quote that we've got. He says, our bond is stronger, yada, yada, yada. I think we actually have uh, some audio from McCarthy uh, with uh, the president's side. So listen to this. His belief in democracy and commitment to the ideas of peace and freedom. Those values have always served as the bedrock of our friendship with the people of Taiwan. And he also uh, continued to talk about the strong bond between the United States and Taiwan. 
I believe our bond is stronger now than at any time or point in my life. And, of course, finish it off with saying um, there was uh, some emphasis on how important this friendship between the people of Taiwan and the people of the United States are, because ultimately this provides stability in the region. The friendship between the people of Taiwan and America is a matter of profound importance to the free world. And it is critical to maintain economic freedom, peace, and regional stability. Now, listen, a lot of people, oh, McCarthy's a rhino, McCarthy's this, McCarthy's that. I've always said, I like McCarthy. You know, I don't always agree with him all the time, but I've always said I like McCarthy, and I think that he, he, he will do a good job as speaker. And i got to say, he's done a better job than I imagined. Since he came in, he's been swinging, he's been doing what I think needs to be done. And I don't have any um, harsh critique for him. I know there's a lot of people who absolutely just couldn't stop trashing the guy. Beijing said, don't meet with President Tsai from Taiwan. He said, sure, you betcha, I'll do it. Anyway, more on that uh, a little bit later on. But I also want to get with some of our guests tonight because, well, there's still uh, lots of discussion to have on all of the news that we've had this week, yesterday, uh, especially today. So don't go anywhere. More to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, and our guest is Roger Stone. He's a seasoned political operative, speaker, pundit, New York Times bestselling author, and you saw him in the Netflix documentary, Get Me Roger Stone. Roger Stone, welcome back, sir. Rich, great to be with you. Yes, sir. Last I saw you, you were, you were slinging martinis with my buddy Gavin Wax, and you did an amazing job, by the way. Thank you for that. What a great event that was. I mean, who would think that the largest most active, most vibrant young Republican club in the United States, also the oldest, would yeah. be right there in Manhattan. Who would ever think that? Right. Who would think it would grow and thrive and, and survive in such a climate as this? You're right. I totally agree. It's great work by a lot of great people there. And uh, I appreciate that support because I think they're a great group. But I, w I wanted to speak with you because, you know, not too long ago when you were on last time, you talked about the, you know, the, the heartache that you went through when when you were politically persecuted uh, by the government. And it, it makes me think, you know, things could be worse for Trump, um, you know, based on what we've seen with you and Manafort and others. And I said, you know what, let's get Roger Stone's reaction. So what's your initial, you know, gut check on what you've seen this, this week? Well, needless to say, I have a great sympathy for the president. I also think, unfortunately, they are so desperate to stop his candidacy. They're so desperate to stop his comeback that things will get worse for him. The good news is he's a warrior. He'll, he'll never quit. He'll never walk away from the fight for this country. Uh, and uh, I, I think that they are deeply afraid of their inability to beat him at the ballot box. I think uh, that he, he beat them once. They cheated the second time, in my opinion. Uh, and they don't want to face him again. Uh, he's proven in states like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, that there's a group out there. They are not Republicans. 
they are they are mostly blue collar, uh, ethnic, Catholic, uh, mostly Democrats. Uh, they usually vote Democrat in local races, but they love Donald Trump. They're very turned off of Joe Biden, and I think they're honestly afraid of his growing political strength. I mean, he's now pulled out to a substantial lead over Biden in the face uh, of everything that has gone on uh, in New York. I also think that uh, watching watching the tube, even even liberal and down the center uh, legal analysts can't figure out where the where the crime is uh, in this in this Fugazi indictment uh, against him in Manhattan. It, it looks like exactly what it is a political hit job. Uh, and I think there's more coming. So let's let's put on your your strategist hat for a moment, because, um, I mean, I would imagine there's more coming like the old saying, they're going to throw everything at him, but the kitchen sink, probably that, too. But what do you think would be their next move? Because my gut tells me they really can't get too much further with this this case. They can try to milk it and get some mileage and some more video, but I don't think they actually get a conviction out of it. Do you think I'm wrong? Well, a Manhattan jury, uh, I, I went to a D.C. jury. Believe me, there were no Republicans, no military yeah. veterans, no independents. Uh, there, there was nobody there, in my opinion, who was actually open-minded. Uh, a, a Manhattan jury, that's pretty scary. Uh, one of the most, uh, you know, the bluest enclaves in the United States. Uh, this judge has clearly got Democratic Party ties. He is clearly uh, a partisan not sure how he even got picked. It's supposed to be a random selection, but uh, they, we end up with the exact same judge in the Trump business case. Once again, five individual federal prosecutors have examined the same set of facts in New York and elected to bring no charges. These people were not friends of Donald Trump. They were actively hostile to him. So I, I agree with you about the falsity or the weakness of the case, but it's New York. So therefore, anything could happen. I, I really think Fulton County, Georgia, uh, is going to be the scene of the next uh, bogus indictment. If anybody will take the time to read the actual transcript of the conversation between Donald Trump and the Secretary of State. By the way, there's six other lawyers on the line actively participating in the call. So nobody's hiding anything. Trump does not tell him, go find 11,780 votes. It's not what he says. What he says is, you have already uh, counted more than 11,870 votes or whatever it is, uh, illegal ballots. Uh, if you throw those out on the basis that they were illegal, for example, felons who voted who shouldn't have, um, uh, that, that makes the difference. There is the balance. That's without even questioning uh, the accuracy of the machines. So this idea that he, that he was instructed the Secretary of State to go find me, it's not what he said. You've got to read the whole thing in context, which, of course, most people will not do. Then beyond that, you have uh, the January 6th investigation. Uh, unlike Robert Mueller, his fellow Jack Smith, the special counsel, does not leak. Almost all of his motions in court are under seal. We do know that he has brought, uh, uh, he's won uh, appeals court victories, or I should say circuit court victories, to bring Vice President Pence, uh, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, National Security uh, Advisor John Radcliffe, his deputy, uh, Robert O'Brien, to the grand jury. We know Secret Service agents have gone to the grand jury in connection to uh, with Trump's handling of papers. I mean, I think this is these are these are very bad storm clouds 
for Donald Trump. Uh, ironically, however, every time he's charged and every time the charges look as like what they are, politically motivated charges to derail his presidential campaign, he's ironically just getting stronger. So that which does not kill him really makes him stronger. Uh, and as you know, Rich, he, even under federal indictment, he could not be denied the Republican nomination, nor could he be stopped from running for president. I don't see any of these trials. This is based on lawyers I've spoken to. I don't see any of these trials happening before the November 2024 election. So he could run while under indictment. If he elected, he could theoretically pardon himself of the federal crimes. Of course, he can't pardon himself of state crimes uh, in New York uh, or uh, uh, or Georgia. But ultimately, even if convicted, I think they get reversed on appeal. Uh, there's no there there. I think more and more Americans see that. Yeah, and I, I think the same thing. I, I think ultimately, right, it's going to be an arduous road to get there, but I think ultimately he gets to a place. Uh, I guess the question, the question is really timing. You know, if you can, how much can we slow him down by throwing everything at him? In addition to indictments, what else do you think the, um, the, the left within the Democrat Party has up its sleeve? Well, I mean, I think this is a key point. I made this point on Tucker Carlson's show uh, night before last, uh, and that is I really think at some point, Trump is so effective at the counterpunch. Uh, it has been totally counterintuitive. If I had a dollar for every person who said to me, tell Trump to stop uh, attacking Governor DeSantis, who, frankly, he is dropped like a rock, that guy. I mean, he's the Florida Fugazi, my friend. I live here. It's not what you think it is. It really isn't. Uh, or just being very aggressive in terms of the political nature of these various investigations. Uh, he's been so effective on the counterpunch. I really still believe it is only a matter of time, both in the state courts and in the federal courts, that they will move to do to him what they did to me, which is to gag me. In other words, mm. they destroy you in public. CNN, MSNBC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, The Wall Street Journal, uh, and the rest of the jackals uh, in the left-wing media. They pound on you every day. Roger Stone's a Russian agent. Roger Stone's a traitor. Roger Stone was involved in Russian collusion. Roger Stone was a go-between for WikiLeaks. All of that is false, Rich. The government never produced an iota of evidence indicating any of those things. Right. But and they don't let you defend yourself because there's a gag order. Let's pick up on that straight ahead. Folks, we're on with Roger Stone. Uh, you don't want to miss this. StoneZone.com, by the way. We're going to get to all of that straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez. It's America at Night. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen.
All right, America, welcome back. And to the phones we go with our guest, Roger Stone. Uh, Steve in Atlanta, Georgia, WGKA. Quickly, go right ahead. Hey, uh, thank, thanks, Rich, for let, letting us talk to the guests, especially when you have someone Quickly, as sir. awesome as Roger Stone. Um, I have uh, just uh, two questions. Uh, the the first one is where do we uh, where do we where do we donate to Trump and just Trump, and then second, right, quickly you have a question about jury selection, right? Get straight to the point. Yeah, jury selection. Um, doesn't the lawyer have the ability to just like say no, no, no to him, no to him, no to him, no to him? After all right, thank you, Steve. Roger Stone, what say you? Uh, the problem is that there's a selected number of challenges, and after you run out of them, you can no longer object. So at a certain point. Uh, once you have used all your peremptory challenges, you're still going to get stuck with an overwhelmingly democratic and therefore, I think, hostile jury in a jurisdiction uh, like New York City. It's exactly what happened to me in D.C. There was only one Republican even proposed was an elderly woman who had worked as a secretary on the Hill for a Republican U.S. senator. The government knocked her out right away. After that, we just ran out of preemptory challenges and I end up with an extraordinarily hostile jury, in my opinion. Now, Roger Stone, in addition to uh, excusing jurors like Steve, and thanks for your call, Steve, uh, but uh, as well as hostile jurists and, and, and of course, a hostile DA uh, like you experienced, uh, we, we left off with you saying you, they put a gag order on you. And I'm thinking it's one thing to put a gag order on Roger Stone, which I thought was unfair at the time. Uh, but it would be another thing to do it to somebody running for, for president of the United States, right? Yeah, it makes it even worse. So first of all, I would argue it's unconstitutional. Nowhere right. in the Constitution does it say that if you're charged with a crime, you lose your free speech rights. Secondarily, uh, the idea that you are tainting the jury pool with your public defense of yourself, really. What does CNN do all day? What does MSNBC do? What does The New York Times do? Uh, what is the what is what does the Daily News do? They're tainting the jury pool every single day, but nobody is gagging them. Uh, and then uh, additionally, you have, as you point out, the issue of the fact that Trump is right now not a putative candidate for president. He is a legally formally declared candidate for president of the United States. And therefore, limiting his speech uh, is a limitation uh, on its interference in the election, I guess I should say. So mm -hmm. the real point there uh, is is an obvious one, uh, which is it would put him at a completely unfair advantage when they say, oh, but he'd only be limited uh, to not speaking about the specifics of this case. This case is politically motivated. This is part of the campaign against him. Uh, hitting back against this prosecution is part of his campaign, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, th I think you're 100 percent right on that one. And, and I think it also it, it just it would it would be obviously a first. Right. It would be a, a precedent making scandal to say, all right, this guy's running for president. And we're going to we're going to shut him up by putting a gag order on him. I think that's absolutely insane. Now, um, well, the, the question, of course, is would, would that get appealed and does it get appealed first through the state courts and then ultimately mm. uh, over in the federal court? But uh, I and how quick happen. I, I am predicting it. You're, you heard it here on the Rich Valdez show. Wow. This is horrible. I hate it when people make predictions and then they come true because this is, to me, that's really the only way you can beat Trump, right, is to try and uh, eliminate some of the oxygen so that he doesn't get the spark he needs to, to have that, that fire to take a little bit of wind out of his sails. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's a scary proposition. 
Now, let's talk about uh, something you mentioned earlier. You said that Trump was gaining some uh, steam with Catholics that identified as Democrats, um, which I, I typically call the JFK voter or the old JFK Democrat. And RFK Jr. throws his hat in the ring. Does he have a Ross Perot effect on the election? And uh, in my opinion, I think it only helps Trump. What do you think? First of all, I, I, I really like uh, and I've met and I like uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. I would not call us good friends, but we're acquaintances. I think he has an enormous amount of courage. Uh, I'm not sure, though, within the current architecture of the Democratic Party, uh, there is room for somebody, uh, ironically, who is a Kennedy, who is the natural heir uh, to the Kennedy legacy. I mean, John F. Kennedy mm -hmm. was a tax cutter. Uh, John F. Kennedy was a uh, was uh, uh, an anti-communist. John F. Kennedy believed in a silver-backed dollar. Uh, John F. Kennedy had deep, deep reservations about the intelligence community. In the end, uh, I wrote a book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, in which I make the case that the CIA is extensively complicit uh, in his murder, as is the, uh, the national security apparatus, the mob, uh, Big Texas Oil. A lot of people in on this. Uh, that's a New York Times bestseller, by the way. Uh, so, but the real problem here is Robert Kennedy Jr. is not only a vaccination skeptic, uh, questions the effectiveness and uh, and safety uh, of vaccinations, but he's also a critic of the globalists. I mean, if you follow his Twitter feed, and I do, two days ago he pointed out that when Russia, China, the Saudis, in uh, Iran moved together to uh, to stay, to uh, essentially declare a new uh, international uh, money standard where the U.S. dollar would no longer be the international standard because of uh, uh, the America neocons attempt to project military power to hold, you know, international hegemony. Well, he sounds to me like an America firster. He sounds to me like an yeah. anti-globalist. The question is, is there any constituency for that in the Democratic Party of today, where I don't think there are any more JFK Democrats. I think that party has become dominated by its socialist, if not communist, wing. Uh, so here's, here's the more important political statistic. Every incumbent president who has been challenged with a serious primary challenge that they have overcome has gone on to be defeated. It happened to Jimmy Carter who beat back a spirited challenge from Ted Kennedy. It happened to Gerald Ford, who beat back a spirited challenge from Ronald Reagan. Uh, in modern times, any incumbent president who has faced a serious challenge to their renomination, even though they won renomination, has gone on to be beaten. So I think in the end, and I like Robert Kennedy, but he may just be softening Joe Biden up for Donald Trump in the fall. Right. And that, that was my thinking. And I just wasn't sure which way the pendulum swings. Does it take away um, from 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 Biden enough to help Trump, which I, I think it might. Uh, but um, either way, I think it's uh, it's good for the Democrat Party to have a little bit of a, of a discussion 
in that regard. Folks, our guest is Roger Stone. Roger Stone Jr., you know him uh, from all over the place, honestly. But check him out at the Stone Zone, stonezone.com. And when we come back, he's going to tell us a little bit about the Stone Zone, his uh, program, and everything else that he's working on. So don't go anywhere. We're coming right back with Roger Stone. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America. Welcome back. Rich Valdez here. Our guest, Roger Stone. Uh, all things political, you know Roger Stone from the Nixon days. Then you know him from the Trump era. And you know, during the break, I was telling uh, our producer, who's um, considerably younger, and I was saying, you know, Roger Stone had this amazing career with Nixon. He was in, he was in Washington running the game over there. You know, he, it, it was Stone and Manafort, and they were doing their thing, and he, he made his money, and he could have retired, but decided to, let's do it again, and gets in with Trump, and then gets into a world of hurt and gets into this, you know, guilt by Trump association type of drama. That, that everybody in Trump world seems to get into. And, and it's just amazing to me how uh, people that, you know, had decent lives and that were doing well in their careers have just been attacked so egregiously just because of their affiliation with Donald Trump. And and we're seeing it now happen to Donald Trump himself. It's just, uh, even though I see it every day, it's, it's still surprising to me, sadly. Now, Roger Stone, something you mentioned before um, was how the... Our currency, the the U.S. dollar, taking a, a beating here and there. And uh, today, India says that they're getting rid of, uh, you know, they want to move away from the dollar. We just saw Brazil uh, enter into an agreement with China. Uh, similarly, uh, what do you think happens from here? Uh, look, I think we're looking at the ultimate, uh, unfortunately, I think we're looking at the up, ultimate uh, 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 world change away from the dollar. I think we're looking at the collapse of our banks. Uh, the The rate of debt that we have is just not sustainable, never has been. Oh, we need another couple billion for uh, Ukraine. Just print it up there, boys, and send it on over. Uh, you know, it is, it's really extraordinary that we're at this place. I appreciate your comments. I think most Americans understand that in fact, I did absolutely nothing wrong. They fabricated charges against mm -hmm. me of lying to Congress. Lying to Congress about what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion. WikiLeaks right. collaboration? No evidence of that either. So they fabricated an indictment against me with one simple thing. They wanted me to testify falsely against Donald Trump. They told me I would walk without a day's jail time if I would just say things that weren't true about Donald Trump. And I refused to do that. It was superfluous. I'd already passed three polygraph tests. There was nothing to tell. When I was convicted in a, in a Soviet-style show trial in D.C., the judge said to me with fire in her eye, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump, to which I say to this day, cover up what? What was I covering up? There was nothing to cover up. Uh, no, it was two years of hell. I, you know, I lost uh, my home, my savings, uh, most of my insurance. Uh, my wife, uh, immediately upon my unconditional pardon, which, by the way, you can barely find that online. You know what you'll mm -hmm. read online? Oh, Trump commuted stone session, no, uh, uh, a sentence. No, 
Trump gave me a full and unconditional pardon because he said incorrectly that I wasn't given a fair trial and the charges against me were bogus to begin with. But try finding that online to see how difficult it is. Uh, and then, of course, I was banned for life on Twitter as early as 2017. I'm back on Twitter. You can find me at Roger J. Stone Jr., Roger J. Stone Jr. If you're on Twitter, love to have you follow me. Uh, And it's really changed my life back. In other words, my show, I do a daily show at StoneZone.Live every day at 5 o'clock Eastern, StoneZone.Live. And thanks to Twitter, that show's really taken off. So it's it's been a life-changing experience. I'm very grateful to Elon Musk for bringing me back. i got to be honest with you, Rich. I didn't expect it. I filled out a form. I sent it in online. I figured that's that. I'll never hear another thing. Next thing you know, boom, I'm back. And, uh, you know, I had 980,000 followers when they banned me for life. I think, I'm not even sure why they banned me. I think I, I hurt Jake Tapper's feelings or something in a tweet. I'm not <laughs> sure. Uh, but uh, And when I got back, I only had 25,000. Right now I'm back up to about 407,000. Love to pick up some tonight. If you're on Twitter, still there, or you're back on Twitter, follow me at Roger J. Stone Jr. And you can find out all things Stone, my website, stonezone.com. That's where I write about politics. My Substack, rogerstone.substack.com, which is free right now. Eventually, I'm going to bring down the window. But uh, I have had some really record-breaking stories there. Hunter Biden's lawyer is now threatening to sue me in two formal letters because I commented on things about his laptop that I read in the New York Post. This is Kafkaesque. This is so weird. Uh, this this information's in the public domain, but uh, as we saw previously, they don't want people talking about it, and I'm not going to stop talking about it. Yeah, well, it seems it seems like you and Trump make a lot of people nervous. Uh, folks, go check it out at uh, StoneZone.com, Roger Stone. Now, Roger Stone, this show you do, as long as it's not 10 Eastern to 1 a.m. live at night, uh, what time is your show on? It's 5 o'clock uh, Eastern time every day at StoneZone.live. You can watch it on Twitter live streaming. You can watch it on uh, Rumble live streaming. You can watch it uh, at Twitch. You can watch it at uh, Telegram live streaming. It's on many platforms. Uh, I think I get most of my views at Rumble, uh, which I really like. Of course, I'm banned for life at YouTube, so don't even bother going there. Uh, but uh, my 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 uh, Rumble channel is Stone Zone. Uh, check it out. I mean, I, it's really taken off changed my life in so many, many ways. Outstanding. Well, I just clicked the follow button, and I hope a lot of our listeners will, too, at Roger J. Stone Jr. Uh, I inaccurately tagged you as Roger Stone Jr., and I guess somebody else got tagged. But uh, the, the correct handle is at Roger J. Stone Jr. Check him out. The website, again, is stonezone.live, L-I-V-E. Roger Stone, I thank you for your time and for staying awake uh, to join us at night this is uh, America's late night town hall forum, and there's people listening from all over the place, and I think they appreciate hearing from you. I know I do. Great to be back with you, Rich. Many, many thanks, and God bless you. You too, sir. All right, folks, keep it locked right here. There is more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more on all of the news of the day. Plus, we're going to have some additional conversation a little bit uh, down the road on a couple of other things that are happening, so you don't want to miss it. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And uh, I wanted to get into this story. I actually have had it open on my desktop since yesterday. It was uh, the story of, uh, not yesterday, since last week. <laughs> it's a story in the Daily Mail from UK. And uh, oh, before I get into that, because um, it kind of coincides with the, the story that's coming out of Canada, uh, with the criminalization by Kristen Wong Tam uh, at a Canadian conference earlier today, wanting to criminalize drag protests and offensive remarks, and this is this has been the case in Canada for quite some time. I want you to listen to the audio, and then we'll we'll go ahead and talk about it a little bit further. Listen to Kristen Wong Tam. Firstly, it enables the Attorney General to create a 2S LGBTQI plus community safety zone to prohibit within 100 meters of the property any homophobic, transphobic act of intimidation, threat, offensive threats, offensive remarks, protest, disturbance, and distribution of hate propaganda within the meaning of the uh, criminal code. It also comes with it a penalty of $25,000 if prosecuted successfully. All right, so now they want to uh, penalize, criminalize, penalize this um, speech that they don't like. So if you say something that's offensive to a drag queen, uh, then you can, you know, or anybody else that fits, I guess, the uh, 2S LGBTQI plus community. For the record, I do not even know what 2S LG or 2S means. Uh, I'll try and find out with one of our excellent producers in the studio. But as far as I know, I know LGBTQ and I think I know I. I don't know why. I just know the cue. But my ignorance of this terminology aside, this is interesting, right? This is fascinating. Now, years ago, they had, there, there's a similar law like this on the books already in Canada. And I, I don't know if it's like um, in all provinces or if it's just a provincial type of statute, but there were verses of the Bible. And I'm thinking 10, 11, 12, maybe even 13, 14 years ago, where these verses in the Bible did not coincide with this, with this law. Uh, for example, their law stated that anything that disparages um, same-sex couples or anything like that uh, was, was not allowed to be shared publicly. And a lot of people in the Christian community said, well, you know, it's part of our faith. That not only Christian community, I mean, you've got Muslims and, and, and uh, Jews that believe the same saying that, you know, there's there's verses in, in the Old Testament that say, you know, man should not lay with another man. And the, the, that was the example that was given. And given that example, they were told, well, yeah, you can't, you, you can't use it, right? Because that's not allowed. So fascinating for me, uh, because I just thought, it was it was interesting that they did that, but yes. Yeah, so so certain parts of the Bible were outlawed as far back as you know ten to let's call it fifteen years ago, and now it seems like that's being reiterated or expanded to include the two S LGBTQI, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, and or questioning intersex, asexual, and two spirit. That is the two S. I don't even know what two spirit means, but. I'm sure we're going to find out straight ahead. So don't go anywhere. There is more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue our conversations and our discussions tonight. Uh, up next, we've got John Zadrozny. He's the Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal. Don't go anywhere.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And our phone number, if you want to join the conversation and chime in on our late-night national town hall, feel free, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Now, a few things I want to go over, right? So, uh, number one, last night we learned that Stormy Daniels lost a case in the Ninth Circuit and was ordered to pay $121,000 to who? Donald Trump, that's right, Donaldus Magnus El Trumpito, the 45th president of these United States, El Presidente. And I thought that was great. Uh, the irony was just so rich that, you know, while he was, uh, you know, staring him down in court saying not guilty, uh, they were, in of all places, the Ninth Circuit, they were finding for him. Uh, adding to, I think, the 400K that, that she currently owes him anyway. Um, there's more. Now, Twitter has added a state-affiliated media tag to NPR's account. It's about time. I think that's terrific. Uh, let's see what else we've got here. There's a few other stories that I wanted to get to. Of course, Speaker McCarthy has stood up to China and the administration and anybody else that was uh, begging him to cow to Beijing and agreed to meet with um, President Tsai from Taiwan. That's a, a first, and I'm glad he did it. I know a lot of people have been critical of McCarthy. He's this, he's that, he's whatever. I think he's, uh, he's getting it done. So uh, kudos to McCarthy, and uh, I think that's a win for America. Then we've got this other story here. Federal Election Commission, the Trump Stormy Daniels case is not a campaign finance violation. Uh, this is from earlier today. Washington Examiner reporting that a key member of the Federal Election Commission today rejected the Manhattan District Attorney's indictment of former President Donald Trump as a violation of federal election laws, saying, quote, it's not a campaign, uh, excuse me, a campaign finance violation. It's not a reporting violation of any kind, said FEC Commissioner James Trainer, who goes by Trey. So uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. But that's the case. Now, I want to talk about the uh, prosecutor in New York City, Alvin Bragg, because America First Legal, they've brought uh, some some action against him. And to help us get to the bottom of that, we have. Our buddy, John Zadrozny, he's the Deputy Director of Investigations for America First Legal. John, welcome, sir. Hey, Rich. Thanks for having me on the show. You bet. You bet. I appreciate it. Uh, let's, uh, let's dig into this because I know that this is a big deal we've been talking about for a few days. But you guys have a unique perspective on this because you're actually taking action uh, as, as an organization, America First Legal. That's correct, Rich. So what we did was when uh, a couple weeks ago when uh, Alvin Bragg was stomping around making noise about a coming indictment against Donald Trump, uh, we were curious about that for a bunch of different reasons, like you and other Americans. So we filed uh, in New York what's known as a FOIA request, a Freedom of Information Law request. It's New York's equivalent of a FOIA request at the federal level. It's a good find mm -hmm. out what sort of communications have been going on between them and the Department of Justice 
other federal actors, uh, the New York Times, and even some nonprofit organizations. And we're just curious to see what was going on. I find it thoroughly implausible, Rich, that there were zero communications between the, uh, the district attorney's office in New York County, which I used to work for, by the way, and the Department oh, wow. of Justice. Uh, yeah, no, and I, been there, I had a, an interesting perspective on it, but our theory is this. Either there are communications between them, which probably are along the lines of, uh, hey, Alvin, we can't indict him for political reasons, but we'd like you to take this case and raise the heat on Donald Trump, who, by the way, is an announced candidate. And they took it and ran with it. Or, which actually would be less you know, dramatic in terms of a fo- uh, foil result, but more helpful for Donald Trump, which is that there was zero communications, which means the Department of Justice didn't even see this register on their radar. And Alvin Bragg just wants to score political points because he wants to be governor or something someday. So, um, yeah, I, I, we're going to find out soon. I mean, I don't expect that, you know, they're pretty busy these days uh, harassing political candidates. So I'm sure they're not tripping over themselves to get us answers. But we're hoping that they do come through and we'd love to see what they have to say. Yeah, and you know, that's a great point. You know, earlier today, I, uh, I often tell the listeners that I, I enjoy getting my coffee every morning or really every afternoon. I get it kind of late. Uh, I get a espresso, cafe con leche at a Cuban place not far from me. And uh, the guy there is a big uh, anti-Trump guy. But he, he also believes that this is a political railroad job. He, he's from Cuba originally. And, and he was telling me, he said, you know, so who's the guy that's doing this thing against Trump? I said, Alvin Bragg. And he said, that's right. A guy nobody knew two weeks ago, and now the whole world knows. And he said, you know, to me, that's the real reason behind this. This guy just wants to get his name out there and, you know, take a shot at the biggest guy out there. And that right now is Donald Trump. I mean, I think that's a fair assessment, Rich. In fact, um, he ran on this. He ran on making a big deal about taking this case to the next level. He followed uh, a fellow hack named Cy Vance, who was there for only a few years. I had the privilege of working for Robert Morgenthau, by the way, who was a legend, uh, a Democrat, but he was apolitical. He was there. The office was very professional, and both Cy Vance and Alvin Bragg have destroyed what used to be the gold standard for local prosecutor's office in the United States and perhaps the world. And I think you're right. I think Alvin Bragg just wants to make a name for himself. He's proven, though, that he's willing to do whatever he needs to do, regardless of whether or not justice is being followed, in order to make a name for himself. And the indictment, if you've seen it, Rich, is, is proof of that. It's 34 counts of a Class E felony of, of falsifying business records. And if you really look at that indictment, it's interesting because it doesn't tell you what he did. <laughs> and it doesn't tell you why that falsifying business records in the first degree charge 34 times over what the underlying crime is. Now, um, there's a lot going on in the indictment. We can get into it. The bottom line is that when you read it, you realize it's very flimsy. And, uh, you know, I can't imagine even if this was a, a if this was a normal situation, uh, Alvin Bragg, and if he wasn't the, the district attorney, if he was an assistant DA doing this, he would have been fired four days ago. You know, and you, you brought up something uh, really good when you said that he ran on this. And again, another point of contention today while I was getting my coffee, and I, it made me think maybe Americans need to hear this because Alvin Bragg was on a hip-hop radio station in New York, one that I listen to and I listen to because I love hip-hop music. Uh, I don't go there for my political analysis, that's for sure. But they occasionally get into these very um, left-leaning segments. And you're right, he was on there and he said the most important thing for whoever takes over this case or a case that might have the most impact and rather than me quote it i'm, I'm gonna play the audio if you'll bear with me listen to this but one of the things uh leading into this vote for the manhattan district attorney's office i know a lot of people are wondering uh whoever has this job are they going to convict donald trump 
Look, that 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 is uh, the number one issue. We know he's investigating. And what I'll say is I'm the only I was the first to announce against Cy Vance. I, too, have a lot of issues, which is why I decided to run. I'm the candidate in the race who has the experience with with Donald Trump. I was the chief deputy in the attorney general's office. We sued the Trump administration over 100 times uh, for the Muslim travel ban, for family separation at the border, for shenanigans with the census. Uh, So I know how to to litigate uh, with him. I also led the team that did the Trump Foundation case. So uh, I'm ready to go wherever the facts take me and to inherit that case. And I think, you know, I'd be hard to argue with the fact that that's that'd be the most important, uh, most high profile case. Uh, And I've seen him up front and seen the lawlessness that he can do. And you believe it should happen? I, you know, I, I, I believe we have to hold them accountable. Uh, I haven't seen all the facts beyond the public, but I've litigated with him. And so I'm, I'm prepared to go where the facts take me once I see them uh, and hold them accountable. All right. So John Zedrosny, we're listening to him and you're right. He ran on this. And the only thing I think he um, says to kind of couch it is uh, I'm going to go wherever the facts take me. But we have and then he kind of reverts back to saying, you know, we have to hold him accountable. We have to go after him, that type of thing Um, is in this. In your opinion, I've heard several people, uh, guests on this program say this guy should have been disbarred just for saying those things. Do you think it rises to to that level? Uh, well, I mean, I think that should definitely be explored, Rich. I'll say this. Everything you just, you just played from Mr. Bragg is, is exactly what you expect from an ends justify the means type of prosecution. It reminds me of the, that quote from Stalin's advisor, whose name, I apologize, escapes me at the moment, but he said, show me the man and I'll show you the crime. Right. Mm-hmm. And I would add on top of that, we are talking about a city which is in the death throes of a crime wave right now. So like, I can imagine a scenario where even if you didn't like Alvin Bragg's politics, if everything was hunky-dory in New York City and safety was not an issue, uh, I could see him like fishing around for other cool things to do, and maybe this would make his list. It still wouldn't justify an ends justify the means type of prosecution of a political figure. Uh, but at least you can say he's doing his other job. He's not doing his main job. I wonder how many bodies he had to step over on the courthouse steps on his way to work this morning. So uh, all of this combines really to, to make a really sad picture. And, and let's also emphasize this. This is the first time in the United States history that there's been an indictment at the federal or state level of a former president of the United States. So I really don't know if Alvin Bragg has run the math for this for the long term. Um, yes, maybe it boosts his name recognition. Yes, maybe it helps him politically in New York. Yes, maybe they leave a mark on Donald Trump, maybe. Uh, I actually don't think so. I think it's going to help him in the long term. What I think this is going to do and this is going to make a lot of Republicans in the future, whether they're in the federal government or state attorneys general or other law enforcement, say, yeah, you know that Democrat that we were told uh, was above the fray and we couldn't prosecute for that crime? We're going to look into it now. And I think right. on balance, Rich, I think a lot more Democrats are going to prison in the next 30 years than Republicans. I'll call it now. All right. Let's pull on that thread a little more straight ahead. We're going to pause right here and take a quick break uh, and give out the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number if you want to talk to John Zadrozny. He's Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal. 833-4-VALDEZ is our number. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
Rich Valdez, who again will do a fine job, but I know you'll enjoy listening to him. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're on with John Zadrozny, uh, former um, assistant district attorney in the office that Alvin Bragg now runs and Deputy Director of Investigations at America First Legal. John Zadrozny, we left off with um, your comments on how this can be a double-edged sword for those that opened this Pandora's box, not realizing that, you know what, just like they did with the Trump impeachment, or the two Trump impeachments, realizing, you know, when you take, when you do this impeachment, knowing that there's not going to be a conviction, and when you do this, this indictment, um, which I think they hope they, they get a, um, a, a conviction on. Um, my, my hope, and again, it could be wishful thinking pie in the sky, is that, that, that it'll get dismissed somewhere some way, and maybe you could chime in on that as well. But um, this is going to fall back on them. Eventually there's going to be a, a Republican or, or a Democrat that doesn't like them, and it's going to say, you know what, I'm going to come after some Democrats, and we're going to go locking them up because we can do that now. Yeah, Rich, I think that's going to happen. In fact, I think it's, it's uh, well, the only thing that really has restrained anyone for years has been precedent in history. Um, there have been a lot of crimes committed by a lot of federal, state, local officials, you name it. We can go down the long list. This would be a five-hour program. Um, but uh, what's, what's kept people in, in line and saying we're not going to do that is respect for the system, respect for law enforcement, and I believe that uh, if you start going after political figures with the criminal justice system, it really does look like you're just trying to politicize the justice process. As a result, that means that some guilty figures do get away with stuff. Um, but it was done in the sense of we we're trying to avoid the slippery slope of having uh, lawyers and prosecutors in courtrooms and jails used to take out what we couldn't do at a ballot box. Well, like you said, they've opened the Pandora's box or crossed the Rubicon or pick your metaphor. Um, and now... The same Democrats that for years have been committing crimes and telling everyone you can't do anything about it, whether it was Bill Clinton raping a woman when he was governor of Arkansas, his wife Hillary Clinton smuggling thousands of classified documents through a server in the bathroom, probably giving them the foreign powers, Hunter Biden being a liaison to the current president with the Chinese and other foreign governments. Uh, all of that's fair game now. And I think you've already seen some, uh, you've probably seen some of that already in the news. In fact, I saw a story saying that current House Oversight Chairman James Comer has been talking to prosecutors in the country, and they're, they're saying, look, we're going to look a lot harder now. The, the gloves are off. And I think that needs to happen. But the important point I'd like to make, Rich, is that it's not about sending... John, I'm not sure if you're close enough to the mic on your phone, oh. but you're kind of fading in and out, and I want to make sure everybody hears what you have to say. Yeah, I'm sorry, Rich. I'm closer to the mic, and I hope you can hear it. Uh, uh, so uh, the bottom line is basically that it's not about sending any one person to jail or anyone from a particular political party to jail. The most important thing is that you should always be pursuing justice. If something right. was done wrong, you investigate it. If someone's name comes up in the process of discovering wrongdoing, you prosecute them. If justice is required, you engage in justice. We were always told every day when I was there under Bob Bordenbaugh that um, you just have to do the right thing. It was not about scooping up indictments. It was not about sending people you didn't like to prison. It was about making sure that the right thing happened every day. And as a result, the streets of New York used to be safe. Um, you know how Alvin Bragg, though, he turns the DA's office into a yeah. political shooting gallery. And uh, the city has, you can tell, the, the side effects of a, of a DA who's focused on a political prosecution and only that, like a holy grail of sorts, is crime, rampant crime, murders, rapes, robberies, DUIs, carjackings. Um, it's 
like a, a 50 50-year 50 reset before I was even born in the 1970s when things were disastrously dangerous and people were clamoring for something new. So um, anyway, the Democrats have done themselves a bit of damage, I think, in the long term. And uh, I think the American people are going to suffer in the short term, especially the ones who live in New York, I feel, for the people from my former hometown. Um, but I think this is also the silver lining is I think it's going to be harder once people start you know, once Democrats who think they're untouchable start getting convicted of crimes, I think you'll see the abuse of the system stop to some degree. All right, John. Let everybody know how they can uh, follow the work that you're doing. Give them the website or any social media accounts you have. Well, thank you, Rich. Uh, yeah, if, if you'd like to come check us out, um, we've got our hands in a lot of pies. We are doing a lot of investigations, filing a lot of lawsuits. We're doing some work on the Hill. And if you have a problem and you'd like to get some help or you've got a tip or you just want to see what we're doing, Please come check us out at aflegal.org. That's alphafranklegal.org. And uh, we'd love to help you out, get you information, and see if we can help you out in a more concrete way. Aflegal.org. All right, folks. That's John Zadrozny, Director of Investigations at uh, America First Legal, aflegal.org. John, keep up the good work. Godspeed to you, brother. Will do. Thank you so much, Rich. Take care. You bet. All right. Now we're going to continue our discussions um, not so much in the legal realm, but a little bit um, outside of the legal realm. We're going to talk about multiculturalism and uh, the, the role that that's playing in the United States. And I think this is an interesting topic because there's some people that really embrace multiculturalism. There are some people that say, oh, it's destroying America. I, I think um, everything has a pro and a con to it. Um, I, I don't have an issue with multiculturalism. I think there's so many wonderful cultures out there, and the more the merrier. But that's a conversation we're going to have. We're also going to uh, have Open Phone America coming up at the top of the hour. You guys get to call in. And uh, I know to the chagrin of some, I will continue to share my thoughts and opinions throughout Open Phone America. Obviously, uh, that's what I'm here to do is to share my thoughts and opinions. But I want to hear yours, too, so you can always give us a call, 833, the number 4, Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S. And I just wanted to take a moment to let you know that all of these interviews, the ones yesterday, the ones today, every single interview we do is available at richvaldezamericaatnight.com. Richvaldezamericaatnight.com is our website for the show. You can listen to the show live there. You could download the podcast. You could stream it from there. You could do just about anything you need to do. And you could, um, you know, uh, join and check out the newsletter. So anyway, more to come straight ahead. Do that while we're on the break. We're coming right back. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night. Welcome back, Rich Valdez, and our guest is Jens Heike. He's the author of Out of the Melting Pot into the Fire, Multiculturalism in the World's Past and America's Future. Uh, Jens, welcome to the program, sir. All right. I hear nothing. Is anybody uh, on the phone? I am on the phone. Wonderful. Hello, Rich. Welcome, sir. 
Let's talk about your book. Now, there's a reference to a viral video on Vice where these a panel of young Asian Americans were debating the notion of model minorities and Asian hate. And during the back and forth, this really caught my eye, uh, one of the progressive panelists uh, denounced assimilation in the United States, linking it to President Roosevelt's Japanese internment camps. I've, I've um, loosely heard this type of reference in the past, but never really that close of a linkage. Um, I've always you know, fancied assimilation something that we're supposed to do, uh, like when in Rome do as the Romans do. What say you? Yeah, that's exactly how I saw it. Um, you know, my father came here as an immigrant uh, shortly, uh, you know, eight years after World War II. And, you know, even though he was a foreigner and had a funny accent, he was welcomed uh, with open arms and and became an American in short order. And, you know, all his fellow citizens considered him to be an American. And it was really a good process for him, and as it was for many others. And uh, what, what inspired you to write the book? You know, it, it was a number of things, but I, I felt that going through the 80s and 90s, well, especially the 80s, we, we really, I felt like we were reaching a point of where we get, we're getting past the segregation and, and, and the poor treatment of minorities in this country, and, and things were actually on a good upswing. And then sometime around that time in the 80s or 90s, we, we kind of made a U-turn and started going back in the direction of segregating people out and, and siloing them by race and ethnicity. And it was a really disappointing thing to see because I, I felt like things were getting progressively better and better in terms of uniting our country. And, and we took this turn around to where we're, we're universities that have separate housing now for, for people of different ethnic groups. They have separate graduation ceremonies for people of different ethnic groups. So it's a huge turn in the wrong direction. And the reason I wrote the book was I wanted to look at, at you know, how that worked out in other countries when, when they went down this path of, of siloing different groups and, and you know, distinguishing them by, by ethnic origins. How does that work out? And so the book gives you a lot of historical examples of you know how that worked out in places like Bosnia and Sri Lanka and so on. And tell us about what really stood out to you when you were doing the research for the book, uh, with respect to um, you know what really I guess caught your eyes. Like wow, that was uh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, you know, the thing that jumped out at me more than anything, so I sat down, I, I, when I visited Rwanda, I sat down and, and talked with people who had participated in the Rwandan genocide. Um, you know, if you think about how many people John Wayne Gacy or Ted Bundy killed, these people killed more than either one of them. And so I sat down and looked eye to eye with these individuals who, you know, one guy had killed 20 people when he had stopped counting, if you can imagine that, and, and asked them about what happened and tried to understand, you know, how they, how they could do these terrible things. And you, you never know what to expect in a conversation like that. And what I found surprised me more than anything, and that was that these guys were normal people. I expected them to be weird psychopaths. But they weren't. They were normal. And that really puzzled me. And 
over time, I, I came to understand that dividing people into groups and ethnic division can make normal people do really bad things. It's, you know, human beings are a, a group and tribal animal. And it unleashes all sorts of terrible beasts when you start dividing people up into groups. And especially if you pit those groups against each other in a competition for resources, which is what happened in Rwanda. And, you know, we have to be very careful that we don't go down that path ourselves here. Um, going back in, you know, in history in Rwanda, if you go back before the, um, the Belgian colonialists came, the people in Rwanda, the Hutus and Tutsis, got along very well. There was never any systematic violence between those two groups. It all started when the Belgians came in there and they issued identity cards that separated the two groups out. It said, you're a Hutu and you're a Tutsi. That's where it began. And, and that's what ultimately made perfectly ordinary people into mass murderers. So... Dividing in people into groups is one of the most dangerous things you can do in human society. And you should not ever do it lightly. That's, you know, that's the one thing I've learned from my research. And you know, I visited 40 different countries in, in doing that research and interviewed people in all those countries. And that's been the consistent pattern. And if people want to purchase a book or two books, where, where can they go and get a copy of the book? You know, it's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes and Nobles, um, and also uh, bookshop.org will allow you to order it through your local bookstore, or, or you could just go to your local bookstore. It's, it it's, can be or, ordered from just about any of those. Outstanding. Well, thank you for sharing about it tonight. Jens Heike is the author. The book, Out of the Melting Pot, Into the Fire, Multiculturalism in the World's Past and America's future. Jens Heike, thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you. <laughs> you bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to continue with our analysis on the media. We're going to find out what uh, Joe Scarborough had to say about the uh, Trump indictment and so much more, at, plus your calls, 833, the number 4, Valdez, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. So the folks at MSNBC are very upset with um, Lindsey Graham, Senator Graham, because he did a promo saying you should donate to Trump during this time. And Trump uh, ended up raising a lot of money, both for the Republican Party and for his campaign. And uh, matter of fact, there was a, uh, somebody sent me, I guess it was the Republican Party, uh, an email uh, with a picture uh, of Donald Trump 
and like a number below his face, you know, almost like a mugshot, but it was like his professional portrait <laughs> with, with a number below it. And uh, and said, this is the only official Donald Trump mugshot T-shirt. And I thought it was brilliant marketing. And this is where um, this is where Joe Scarborough from The Morning Joke on MSNBC, he gets uh, a little bent out of shape here because he thinks that Lindsey Graham's promotion uh, was no bueno. That means not good in Spanish for those who don't know no bueno. Anyway, let's listen to Joe and Mika Brzezinski. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham seemed to be fighting back tears. He's not doing well, is he? Again. Like, he's always he's, crying. He's always crying. Take a look. Well. I'm sorry I'm so upset, but please help President Trump. If you can fi- afford five or ten bucks, if you can't afford a dollar, fine. Just pray. Make sure you vote as early as you can in your state. Don't risk anything anymore. Vote as soon as you can. Pray for this country. Pray for this president. And if you got any money to give, give it. LindseyGraham.com, it doesn't go to me. It goes to helping this president and taking back the Senate. Save the world. Oh, my God. Give to JoeScarrow.com right now. All over the world, people are suffering. This is true. And listen, I got to tell you, that made me chuckle. I thought it was funny. I I thought that Joe's uh, joke was very funny. And that's why he's the host of The Morning Joke on MSNBC. So good job, Joe Scarborough. I I think that was funny. And Lindsey Graham, good job. It was a very appealing campaign. I think people were were saying, yeah, yeah, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to give you a little something. Now, this is what happens when you're a little bit delusional. And I want to circle back a little bit to talk about, um, you know, we were just talking about multiculturalism and uh, how there's microaggressions and whatnot. And the other night I teased a little bit of a story, but I didn't really get into it too much. Uh, But the East Hampton superintendent uh, candidate, he was candidate for superintendent in East Hampton, um, he had his offer revoked after addressing the school committee as ladies. Yep, no, you heard it right. This is something. So in East Hampton, uh, Massachusetts, the offer to the final candidate for the superintendent of East Hampton Public Schools was rescinded on Thursday. The candidate, Vito Peroni, told Western Massachusetts News that they voted to rescind the offer in an executive session. The reason behind it? Allegedly, a perceived microaggression in an email that he sent to the school committee members. Listen to this. This is a quote. What really rankled me was the people uh, in the community of East Hampton. It's always usually uh, they're usually very supportive and welcoming, uh, said Mr. Peroni. Vito Peroni was left in shock on Thursday after his offer to become East Hampton Public School District's next superintendent was rescinded. He told Western Mass News he was notified by the chairperson of the school committee that his offer, so, uh, excuse me, his offer would be taken away due to an email he sent to the school committee chairperson and executive assistant to the committee. We obtained a copy of the email that lists the negotiations, including more vacation time. He explained the main focus was him addressing the school committee as, quote, ladies at the beginning of his email. She explained to me that they were insulted by the address And I said, well, I grew up in a time in the 60s and 70s when ladies and gentlemen was a term of respect, said Peroni. Uh, That's how I intended it. And I didn't mean to insult any of you and was basically told by that my apology didn't mean anything and they were going to rescind my offer anyway. 
Peroni said, and it could be Perone, but I think it's Peroni, and it sounds better that way to me. Um, Peroni says, while he was disappointed, it was not about the money. It was about taking a $14,000 pay cut to leave his current job in West Springfield as interim superintendent. He was hoping to end his career in East Hampton, where he had fond memories of working at the high school. He goes on to say, I was principal here. We built this school. I was principal. We had a lot of great energy and memories here. I, I was the, the coach of my son's uh, football team here. I just love the community, is what he said. He also expressed how grateful he was for the support that he received. It means a lot to me that people value what I bring to the table. They value who I am as a person and who I am as a, an instructional leader. He went on to say that he has nothing against the school committee and hopes everyone could use the situation as something to grow and learn from. You see, those are words. If he really means that, good for him. This guy's like right there with Jesus in my book. But I would have a whole lot against that school committee. You've got to be kidding me. You know, how about just saying, hey, look, you know what? Uh, we take exception to that, that mode of address. We prefer a, a gender-neutral mode of address, if you don't mind, uh, because some of us may not identify as ladies, even though we're all women. Right? How hard was that? And him saying, oh, forgive me. You know, I wasn't woke enough for you. Whatever. No, instead, they got to ruin this guy's livelihood or delay it in one way or another. Absolutely ridiculous, in my opinion. Absolutely ridiculous. Anyway, so he, uh, this goes on. Um, the, uh, the newspaper reached out to members of the school community, uh, committee. They got back to them saying that the uh, chairperson, Cynthia Kwasinski, said she couldn't comment on what happened in executive session, which is true. Employee matters like that you can't comment on. Meantime, Peroni said he'll continue his duties as West Springfield interim superintendent until May 1st and will return to his post as assistant superintendent. Uh, a protest is planned. Well, at least he didn't lose uh, his, his main gig. But a protest is planned and set to take place on Monday, which was this uh, Monday that just passed, uh, against the committee's decision in front of the town's municipal building on Payson Street. So there you go. Uh, the wokeness is getting worse, and it's getting in everybody's face, right in the small communities where uh, what to me seems like a good person, because, I mean, I've never seen where we said, oh, we're not hiring that superintendent and people take to the streets and protest, right? And obviously, he was a guy that made an impact in the community and seemed like a nice guy. And he's got to be a nice guy to make a gracious statement like the one he did and mean it. Um, and I'll tell you, I, I probably won't ever make a gracious statement like that and say, well, you know, I got nothing against you. I hope we can all learn and grow from this. Absol unless I'm being forced to by some lawyer somewhere, I'm not saying it. I don't mean it. That, that's absolutely insane to do something that crazy. Uh, when, when you get hired for a job and then on your offer to, to have the offer rescinded because you said thank you, ladies, or good afternoon, ladies, or whatever it was, trying to use it and explaining himself that he was using a term of respect. This country, the world, our culture is going bananas. La cosa está loca. Translation, this thing is crazy. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation as we prepare for Open Phone America where you get to call in and... Uh, Tell me what's on your mind. 833-4-VALDEZ. Coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
now. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. I want to ask you a question, and I will repeat this question at the top of the hour, but I want to kind of put it out there right now because this is an interesting place, right? Is there virtue in being non-committed? And what I mean by that is early in my foray into politics, you know, in my early 20s, I remember priding myself on independence, saying, look, I have conservative values, but I'm not necessarily a Republican. I'm not necessarily a Democrat. I would vote for the person that gives me the best information, the best position. I think that's just the best place to be. And I felt that this was some, I I truly felt uh, an, an air of superiority about myself for having this position and feeling like those that were subscribed to the policies and politics of one side versus another were somehow less effective or less enlightened as I was because I had this ability to be objective. And the more I spent time in politics and, and got to know people and things and how policy works and, and I grew up and I got married and I had children and I ran business, I, I realized that isn't real in my opinion. To me, it, it was the height of my naivete of my young self where I realized there was no virtue, in my opinion, in being non-committed to a side. It was kind of like saying, you know, we're going to go to the Subway series. And I'm making a sports analogy, but don't call with sports analogies. <laughs> but I'm making one for the sake that it's easy to make, right? The Subway series in New York, Yankees versus Mets. If you're a New Yorker, you're probably a fan of one of those teams. And going to that game and saying, you know what? I don't really care who wins this game as long as they, they, they play a good game. Right? Nobody says that. I've never heard anybody say that in my life. Maybe a mom or dad at Little League, but um, I've never heard that in real life in, in the major leagues. And in, in, in reality, in politics, it, it's quite the same way. There is no virtue or win or, or benefit, in my opinion, to having somebody that stands for nothing. Like the old saying goes, you fall for anything. And, and that's truly how I see it. And if you want to change my mind, I welcome you to. Maybe I've become a cynic and I've become jaded over the years. But that's my thought, and I'd really love to hear yours. Because, again, like I said, I, I once thought it to be a virtue to, to think of things and say, well, I'm not this and I'm not that, and I weigh all the facts. But the reality was nobody else was doing that. When you get to Washington, you're either on one team or you're on the other. And their voting records prove it. Anyway, we'll continue that discussion and more straight ahead, 844, excuse me, 833-4-VALDEZ. I'll get it right, 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America starts right now. Give me a call. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez 
Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's a bunch of stories that I want to get to in this final hour. It's open phones across America. You're welcome to join the conversation, our late-night national town hall. We're live, we're national, and you're welcome to be here. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Or you could uh, drop a comment, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. Matter of fact, there's a couple of comments I was looking at uh, during the break. Uh, somebody left a quick comment. Let me see if I could find it fast enough. Uh, but it was an interesting one, I thought. It said here, um, uh, Hi, Rich. This is for Roger Stone. I hung up too fast. Sorry about that. I was wondering if the dozens of girls that filed charges against Trump and Epstein will see this case in New York as a sign that they'll be heard in courts now because they haven't been heard in many states. Now, this is a very presumptuous question, uh, a question that presumes a lot of things as if they were fact. Um, I, I don't know who these girls that have a charge against Trump and Epstein. I've never seen such a case where there is a, a against the both of them mutually. I know that there were a bunch of cases where people were alleging things, kind of like Stormy Daniels did, saying that he did this and he did that. And then when it came down to being under oath, either they didn't show up or like Stormy Daniels did, she just came clean and said, yeah, no, we didn't do anything. All right. Now, people seem to forget that part, that this whole case that they're hinging upon her and her taking the stand and all this stuff, she's admitted under oath uh, that this has not happened. Like whatever, whatever she was claiming when she was trying to extort him didn't happen. Right. So, um, Rob, who um, chimed in online, thank you for your comment. Uh, it doesn't always um, help you or your case when you don't have all of the facts and, and you're not listening to the program, hoping, hoping that you're listening live and you're listening to richvaldezamericatnight.com if you can't get the program live on your local affiliate. But I do thank you for the call. We're going to get to your calls uh, right away. I see calls coming in uh, from all over the country, California, from Delaware, and other places in New England. But I want to um, pose a question. And it was a question that I just posed a little while ago on social media and at the uh, after the bottom of the hour in, in the last hour. And the question is this, is there virtue in being a non-committed independent? a centrist, if you will, or is the true virtue in defending the beliefs that you actually stand on and that you actually live by? So give me a call, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let us go to Mike, Grass Valley, California, KNCO. Mike, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. How are you doing, Rich? You are a breath of fresh air. I have got Thank you, to tell you. I appreciate it. You that. literally make half of my patrol worth driving. Oh, well, thanks for your service, brother. I appreciate it. So, what I'm calling about is the term hush money everybody uses all the time just irritates the hell out of me because it is actually a slander term, slanderous mm -hmm. term when used improperly. You know where the term hush money comes from, correct? I don't know where it comes from, but I know it has a very negative connotation. Like, you know, we're going to pay you off to be quiet as if this is some sort of illegal deal. Hush money in and of itself is an illegal act. It is silencing of a witness through the method of payment, like ah. John Dottie and Al Capone. Whereas the next step would be, of course, they go swimming with cement shoes. <laughs> and so right. that in and of itself is a crime. But accusing somebody of hush money for something like an NDA is slander. 
Yeah. And I'm Great surprised point. that somebody hasn't gone after Bragg for malicious prosecution. Or maybe that isn't a statute in New York. No, actually, California. well, I, I know we've had a couple of Trump's lawyers on, and I know that they are going to go that route. I think uh, rather than malicious prosecution, they're going after selective prosecution, saying that it's, it, this wouldn't have happened to anybody else, uh, which, you know, connotes that it's a malicious act, uh, some sort of malign activity. But uh, excellent point. I, I agree with you. In the court of public opinion, that makes all the sense in the world. And, and my hope is that this will hold true um, in, in, in the actual court of law. The, the issue is a lot of the lawyers you know, seem split, you know, on this where they say, well, again, they were able to get uh, an indictment. Uh, they were they're likely going to have a jury that favors them. It seems like they have a judge that may not uh, be incredibly impartial. So I think this is where, you know, there's uh, some ambivalence or hesitation when it comes to the situation. Uh, but I agree with you that it, it shouldn't be that way, and, and we should do a better job. And I, I, I try to not use this term, but I've seen on many conservative networks and whatnot, this term just gets thrown around over and over and over as if there is something wrong, and it kind of does connote something that's very uh, negative or something uh, unruly. So uh, excellent point, excellent point. Now, uh, what's the weather like in uh, Grass Valley, California? Say that again? How's the weather by you? It actually has not rained for a whole one and a half days. <laughs> wow. But if you drive uh, 20 minutes up the highway or 30 minutes up the highway, you're in 10 feet of snow. We have 800 oh, wow. inches of snow at the ski resort, and nobody can ski because all the ski lifts, the snow is to the top of the towers that the ski lifts ride on. Wow. So, you know, we're, we're supposed to have, uh, I'm on the East Coast, and uh, I can tell you it's, it's been, you know, mild. It's been like North Carolina over here. However, we're supposed to have an 80-degree day tomorrow, and it's supposed to come with, guess what, a ton of rain. So April showers bring in May flowers. Mike, thanks. Wow, it was 90 today in D.C., I'm being told. But, Mike, thank you for your call. I appreciate it. I appreciate your kind words and for you chiming in and sharing that with us. That was a really good tidbit. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, we're going to get to the rest of your calls uh, momentarily. Again, let me give you the phone number, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And, yeah, I think um, it, it's, it's an excellent point. Another point that I, I, for the Trump stuff that comes to mind. Oh, and I forgot to ask Mike about having virtue in, uh, in defending your beliefs or being a centrist and having no uh, beliefs at all. Shoot. Oh, Mike, if you're hearing the callback, because <laughs> I did want to ask you that and I let you go too soon. But um, it is interesting to me how there's a, a, a defense that um, my uh, mentor, former boss, all around great guy, the great one, Mark Levin, uh, mentioned on his radio program that, and I think he repeated it on the Fox News channel, was that it is impossible to exercise your Fifth Amendment right to defend yourself in open court and face your accusers and whatnot, um, to have due process rights, it's impossible to do that if the crime that's alleged against you isn't known to you, right? So it's important that you know the crime that you're being charged with if you're being charged with the crime. So I think it's fascinating that we're seeing that happen. But anyway, I wanted to get back to Mike because the other part of my question, which was, uh, Mike, what are your thoughts um, with respect to the question that I posed earlier where, you know, 
do we, is there virtue in saying, look, I don't care about what political party you're with. I don't care who you are. I just care about, you know, what, what, what each person is saying or, and are they different in any way? Or is the real virtue in saying, look, I know what I believe in. I believe in, you know, God, country, family, whatever it is that you believe and say, and, and that's what I'm going to defend. And that's what I'm going to look out for. Mike. Well, I'd say there's many different schools of thought on that. <clears throat> the, I'm a constitutionalist, and being just a independent in between and not standing for something one way or the other, you end up voting for the lesser of the two evils instead of looking at the party's main objective. So mm-hmm. I tend to be a constitutionalist, and I try to I try to vote for which party is going to do the less damage to the country. Yeah, and listen, that's a, that's a safe. Um a safe place to get to be, I guess you got to mitigate, uh, you know, oftentimes it is the lesser of two evils. And, uh, and, and I just feel like in my growth in life, I've, I've learned, uh, it was an argument that I had earlier today with somebody and, uh, and, and I was and the guy was saying, no, no, no. Cause you can't just believe everything. And I was like, I don't believe everything I hear. I think I'm a, the biggest skeptic out there. You know, I, I question everything, but ultimately I think a lot of people do believe just the first news source that they get or the first 10 and they kind of think, well, if everybody's saying it, it must be true. You know, like if every member of that jury and every prosecutor in the, the prosecutor's office, and if Alvin Bragg said this, and if, if every Democrat in New York said Trump was bad, does it really mean that Trump is bad? Or does it just mean that all the Democrats in New York don't like Trump? And to me, there's there's a real there is a there there. Right. There, there's a real question to be asked uh, whether should we follow the tyranny of the majority or should we really just follow the facts, Mike? Exactly. I mean, you have to use critical thinking and a lot of people really don't have critical thinking skills. You really have to weigh it out. I'm really good at interviewing and processing and interrogating, so to speak. So you can yeah. take the arguments of both parties average them out and come out to what's actually the truth and what's the best to go for. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that comes with being on the job and figuring out, you know, who's who and what's what experience plays a role in that. Well, thanks again for chiming in on that. I do appreciate it. Now I've got to hit this break. Uh, but stay safe out there, Mike. I appreciate the call from Grass Valley, California. Um, and I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know that affiliate Hopefully we can get the affiliate up there later. But big shout out to everybody in that region of California where you've got snow and rain and, and uh, not a lot of palm trees. Okay, more to come straight ahead. It's Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Just for 
Sure, just as a moment of business here, and then I'll come to you in just one second. I need to tell you that right now, uh, the former president himself is making remarks tonight um, from his home in Florida. As far as we can tell, and what we were prepared for here is that this is basically a campaign speech in which he is repeating his same lies and allegations against his perceived enemies. It is just getting started. Um, so far, he's just giving his normal list of grievances. We don't consider that necessarily newsworthy, and there's a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. So uh, our deal with you is that we will monitor these remarks. If he does say anything newsworthy, we will turn them around and report on that right away. But uh, for now, just know that it's happening and we're not taking it. So that was uh, MSNBC's Rachel Maddow. She took exception to some of the things Trump was saying. And and uh, I guess there was a lot of people listening to that because I heard those talking points today echoed um, throughout uh, throughout the land, if you will. And it, it just it's interesting to me. If somebody, you know, people get on this program and I try to curtail things that are, you know, a little crazy. Uh, but for the most part, if it's your opinion and I don't agree with your opinion because I think your opinion's wrong and even potentially not rooted in fact, I might call out some of the, the, the misstatements of fact. But for the most part, I let people ramble. I really give them a chance to put their own foot into their own mouth. And then I do my thing, right? And, and I think that... Um, we need to be the same way in, in, in all of our media. You know, just let people have their chance, right? She has a whole chance to do the whole show. That's why I play clips, and I play long clips typically, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute, minute 15. <clears throat> Most places, they want 10-second, 12-second, 13-second clips because they want to give you just a sound bite. I want you to have the full context so that I can then, you know, respond to the full context of the clip, and I think that's important. So this way, people... They can criticize me all they want, but they'll never say, well, you never give the other side a chance. Now, A, I, repeat, I repeatedly invite people, and uh, like good old AOC, all out crazy, my least favorite congresswoman from the Bronx and Queens. I've offered her a, an opportunity to come and discuss things with me a bunch of times, and she doesn't want to come on the show. So, you know, I'll play audio of her and give, give it a chance, right? So I just find it so interesting that Rachel Maddow won't play any audio of Trump or video of Trump on her show and then uh, give her analysis on what he said. If you think he's lying, then let him say what he's saying and then say, all right, well, here's why I take exception to what the former president said. I think it's X, Y, and Z. I think he's full of it. I think he's crazy. I think he's this. But not even that. Just you know, there's a cost to a news organization. No, there really isn't. Uh, the cost is just allowing the truth to, to flow. Anyway, let us uh, continue here. Let's go to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, WRNN. Let's go to Steve. Welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. How you doing, Rich? Nice to talk to you again. Likewise, what's on your mind tonight? I was just wondering, I mean, the Myrtle Beach police and Horry County police and all that, they do an awesome job. I mean, taking people off the streets that don't need to be there and harass. And right. I'd like to know when, uh, yeah, the uh, protect and serve turned into harass and intimidate because they tie the hands of the police officers. And, uh, don't let them do their job. I'd, I'd just like to know when that started happening recently. Sure. I would say it started around uh, 2008, um, in my opinion. I think that's when a lot of things started, where you started to see a, a new way of doing things, right? You know, kind of like the way people say read between the lines. People figured out that you could get things done uh, without going the regular route. And uh, for me, I'm sure that has always existed, but it became very popular, at least in Washington, um, in 2008-ish and moving forward, 
where it was, <clears throat> we can do things by way of lawsuit instead of by way of legislation. We can do things by executive order, uh, this type of, um, of, of type of, um, authoritarian, if you will, I don't want to use that word too loosely, but that type of approach to just saying, you know, I think this is wrong and we have to remedy the situation as such. And we've seen it happen time and again, right? So for example, there's um, recently this week, the governor of Idaho was talking about how he'd sign into legislation, uh, uh, into law, a piece of legislation about having an alternative means of, what is that called? Um, Execution, right? Death. They have death by lethal injection and they have death by firing squad. And that was the second one that they had, you know, um, codified. And and I bring this up only to say it's because there are activists that have put pharmaceutical companies in such a position where they cause them to not produce the drugs necessary to do this procedure. So they've become scarce and unavailable. So rather than changing the law, they just said, let's go to the source and limit the, the source of these drugs. In the same way, somebody woke up and said, you know what? There are too many men of color in jail for, for these uh, violent crimes. We need to stop charging the full crime and we have to downgrade these. How can we do that? And they've tried for years through activism in the courts, uh, to you know, uh, activism in, in the legislature to try and get legislation to change laws and make things easier. And they realized, you know what, if we can have activist judges, if we can have activist district attorneys, we, we can now change the way we're charging people. And we can create a movement where we're no longer going to incarcerate men of color. And that's how we'll be able to empty out these prisons with, uh, once we get activists in the executive branch. And guess what? That's happening. That's where the term defund the police comes from, right? So um, I think we started seeing that in 2008, and it hasn't stopped since. We've seen people become very busy being activists. And uh, I'm not saying all police are, are doing that. I'd say actually it's a, you know, it's a very small fraction of, of law enforcement that, like many in the FBI or some in the FBI, I should say, that have decided to you know, go after Trump or go after anybody for political reasons. That's obviously not cool, and we shouldn't live in a country where that's a thing. But that's been going on since the days of MLK. And speaking of the FBI, there's a uh, story about the FBI making a little bit of a blunder. Anyway, Steve, the music means I've got to go. But we're going to get to that FBI blunder uh, in a moment, plus the rest of your calls. We've got calls from all across the country, and we're going to get to you momentarily. Don't go anywhere. It's Rich Valdez, America at Night, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-4-VALDEZ. Give me a call. We're coming right back. The FBI's made a blunder. I want to get to that in a moment, but I also wanted to share this story with you. Um, I saw this yesterday, and I, I forgot to mention it. Hit home for me because this guy's 43 years old or was 43 years old. I'm 44, and I thought, man, this guy's just a year younger than me. The founder of the popular um, money transfer app it's called Cash App, Bob Lee, he reportedly was stabbed to death. This uh, really sucks. really sucks. Uh, the 43-year-old founder was involved in a fatal stabbing early Tuesday morning, uh, according to NBC Bay Area News. 
Sources say that he was rushed to a hospital after the attack but succumbed to his injuries. That's horrible. Anyway, no arrests have been made yet. San Francisco Police Department has yet to reveal any details about the alleged suspect. And he was uh, currently the chief product officer of the crypto company MobileCoin. And he was the chief technology officer of Square, the uh, mobile money processing app as well. He also worked at Google early in his days. So poor guy. Uh, I feel badly for him. I don't know him from anything. But. You never want to hear about somebody dying and, again, somebody, you know, his whole future ahead of him, which, uh, which sucks. But this is what happens when you say, hey, let's defund the police. Let's get rid of this. Let's get rid of that. Let's use activism to put criminals right back out on the street. This is the result. You get bedlam. Let us go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Let's go to Anthony, KDKA. Anthony, welcome. Uh, buenas noches. Yes, sir. So that's exactly what I was going to call about was that poor guy that got stabbed to death in San Francisco in Nancy Pelosi's district. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe she's made any comment about it. And I don't know if you saw in the story, he is in the process for, well, obviously he's passed away now. He was in the process of moving to Miami because of the crime and the drugs in San Francisco. Oh, wow. And he couldn't handle it anymore. Yes. I didn't see that my, part. I think he already bought a house. In my, he already bought a house in Miami. But San Francisco isn't the only place they're, they're leaving. Um, Cook County, where Chicago is, they lost 68,000 people last year. And there was another big article recently about how many people had moved out of Los Angeles. And I, I don't know what's going to happen to our cities in the next five years, or at least the blue cities where everybody's moving out of. You know, I, I don't either. I mean, I would presume, I think things like this are cyclical, right? When I was a kid, I, I grew up in Brooklyn until I was 12. Then I moved across the river to Jersey, Hudson County, New Jersey. I can tell you that some of the neighborhoods, when I go back to Brooklyn now, these, I, I could never afford to live in them. Many of us couldn't afford to live in them. They're extraordinarily expensive. These brownstones that were once rat-infested tenements, they polished up the, the doors. They power-washed the, uh, the, the, the sandstone or whatever they're made out of. And voila, these things, you know. They're worth $15, $20 million. And uh, now it's the hottest place to live down under the, um, the Brooklyn Bridge over there or down under the Manhattan Bridge area. And it's just uh, uh, fascinating to me, fascinating. So I think we see neighborhoods rise and fall through gentrification and many other reasons throughout the years. But um, when you have crime like this, violent crime, people getting stabbed to death, um, this is – to me, a huge cause for concern. People should be up in arms. People should be very upset about this because, to me, it's the direct result of what we just talked about, this activism that we see with people trying to change laws without going through a legislative process. Instead of saying, you know, let's do, you know, let's change the rules, they say, no, let's change the game. You know, let's just, uh, let's figure out a different way to rig the system. Let's make sure that we, you know, we get prosecutors that won't prosecute, pro-crime, progressive prosecutors that won't do anything. And that's what happens. That's why you keep, get crazy people. I, I think it's fair to say somebody who stabs another person with a kitchen knife and leaves him for dead is a crazy person. And we have more and more of the crazy people ever since there's been a, an attack on law enforcement, an attack on somehow, you know, Anything that that resembles structure in America uh, is somehow um, a white colonizer, evil way of doing things. And this to me is this is exactly what uh, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro. These are their talking points. You know, Yankee, go home. They've been using this stuff in Puerto Rico for years. You know, they even get 
people to hate Puerto Ricans that are born in New York and they call them New Yorkans and they say, oh, you're not a real Puerto Rican because, you, you know, you weren't born on the island. And, and this type of division, we see it all over the place. When you can divide and conquer a people and you can treat people a certain way because of activism, and voila, you get a situation like this. And it's very unfortunate, Anthony, but it's right where we are. And uh, sadly, people are paying with their lives. All right. I guess I stunned them with my brilliance. Anthony, thank you very much for your call. I appreciate it. Hopefully uh, people's phones are working right tonight. Let us uh, continue uh, with this story. And I'm going to get to your calls in a moment. I just want to share this story with you because this is the, um, the story of the FBI, right? They, they handcuffed, interrogated, and uh, detained or arrested the wrong person in a botched exercise, a training exercise in Boston where they did all of that to a Delta Airlines pilot. The FBI and some other federal agents burst into the wrong Boston hotel room on Tuesday night during a training exercise, startling the guest inside who had no idea what was going on as he was getting handcuffed. The incident occurred on the 15th floor of the Revere Hotel. Agents were conducting a mock investigation. FBI agents were assisting the U.S. Uh, Department of Defense in a training exercise inside the hotel to simulate a situation that DOD personnel might encounter in a deployed environment. And they nabbed the wrong guy. Based on inaccurate information, they were mistakenly sent to the wrong room and detained an individual that was not the right role player. The agents targeted room 1505, where a Delta Airlines pilot was sleeping inside and opened the door. Agents went in. They handcuffed the man in his 30s before interrogating him and putting him in the shower, according to the news reports. They eventually realized the mistake and apologized. First and foremost, we'd like to extend our deepest apologies to the individual who was affected by the training exercise, according to Lieutenant Colonel Mike Burns of the United States um, Special Operations Command. It's what he told Fox in a uh, statement earlier today. The training team, unfortunately, entered the wrong room and detained an individual unaffiliated with the exercise. Hotel security was alerted about the incident and called the Boston Police Department. <laughs> oh, gosh. Look, everybody makes mistakes, but these are not the type you should be making when you're like the elite uh, FBI, right? You should not be doing that, um, getting the wrong guy. Anyway, let us uh, continue here. Let's go um, to Farentino on KDKA in Pittsburgh. Farentino, go right ahead, sir. Yeah, Rick. Uh, on down, you know, I, I voted for Trump twice, pretty much Republican, agreed with you on a lot of points. But when, this thing about him at the January 6th when he had Pence, he didn't want him to certify the election, that's a big deal. That was really wrong. Say it again. I can't hear you. Oh, I don't know if you can hear me, but say it all over again so the world can hear you. You're cutting in and out. Okay. When Trump had uh, wanted Pence to not certify the ballots on the election, okay, on January 6th, okay, that's a big deal. I mean, that is really wrong. Why is it wrong? Because Biden was elected by the people. So how could you say that he that's almost treasonous? I mean, I'm all Trump. You know, I'm they're not talking because I'm anti-Trump and I hate Trump. No, I, I understand. It, that's the position you take. Look, I, I look at that situation. And the reason I ask why I think it's wrong is because uh, these were certain certain states. Right. It was the four states that were in question. I think it was uh, Wisconsin. 
and Pennsylvania. No, it wasn't like, hey, don't accept the vote at all. It was, hey, the legislators in those states have come forward saying they want to issue a new set of electors because they feel that things didn't go right in the election. Right. This wasn't Trump. Now, this is the the state officials elected by the by the people. And these state representatives said, we want to do this. We have these alternate slates of electors that we'd like to submit. And Trump says, hey, if they've got whatever, then don't certify those states, Mike. And Pence says, well, I don't know that I can do that. And and I think everybody here is right. Right. There's no precedent for something like this happening. But there's no there's nowhere in the Constitution that says you can't do that. Right. And in fact, everybody there is sworn to do what they believe is right and, and uphold the Constitution. So to me, this is a, a legal issue, what they call a constitutional question that probably should have gone before the United States Supreme Court for them to debate and decide uh, whether whether a vice president's role is simply procedural or if in the counting of the ballots does have the authority to, because there's nowhere that says he doesn't have the authority, to say, you know what, we are not going to accept the count from Wisconsin. We're going to send those back to Wisconsin for them to reissue whatever they whatever they wish to certify. And because there's conflict, then it, it, we're not going to c- count those in the current count of the uh, Electoral Count Act. So again, I'm not defending Trump or defending Pence. I'm just saying there isn't any rule on the books either way. And, and I think um, legal scholars are split on it because they've got nothing. There's no precedent. You know, there's no stare decisis for them to use here. None of them can say, well, in the past we did this or we did that. The only thing they can say is it, you know, they can argue their position one way or the other. But it, it ultimately is a constitutional question, which the Supreme Court decides all the time when there's a constitutional question. And uh, I, I would have been very curious to know how they would have sided with it, because to me, it does make sense if you have. You know, again, if the um, I think it's Article two, Section three Constitution says that if you have um, the power to time over time, place and manner of elections and that power rests solely with the legislature of each state. Right. Which is closest to the people. Then it's these people that have the power to, to dictate what happens. And if they themselves are saying we don't want that slate of electors. We'd like to submit a different slate. Um, I think it's worthy of having a discussion. Now, I understand the the other side of that coin is, so every time they don't like the outcome of election, they're going to say, we don't like that. We want to submit new electors. Um, I could I could see that too. I don't think that was the case though. I think there was a legitimate concern over the uh, uh, ballot counting in four states. One of those states being Pennsylvania, We've now seen, right, they, uh, they've had to repeal Act 77, which was what allowed them to send everyone a mail-in ballot in the first place. So I think th- that means something, right? And that was the same lawsuit that was brought by the Trump campaign and rejected at the time. And then it was later brought by um, same attorneys, just um, not on behalf of Trump. They brought it on behalf of, like, you know, concerned citizens or whatever. And uh, voila, all of a sudden, they were a- their case was taken. And they were able to, to get some changes done. So I think that's really um, interesting, in my opinion, to see how that rolls out. And again, you, we wouldn't know any of that if we didn't get to go to court. So hopefully that makes some sense for you, Farentino. And I appreciate the call. There's more to come straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez, and I want to go to Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and check in with Joe Biden on WXDE. Just kidding. Bill, how are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing good, Rich. How are you? Oh, thank I, God. I just uh, am barely awake tonight working this job. It's really kicking my tail. Hey, thank God you're working. Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, we talked, uh, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago about our daughters in karate. Oh, yeah. Well, my daughter's and, ta- taekwondo. Uh, but, yeah, I remember having yeah, that conversation. Yeah. And, and mine's Tong uh, uh, Sudo. And nice. uh, anyway, uh, she just went for her fourth degree. And wow. She is now awesome. no longer known as, right, she is no longer known as Miss Dana, which is non woke She's Master Dana now. Master Scott now. No oh, first Master name Scott. now goes to her last name. Yes. Master How cool. That is, is so awesome, cool. You know. Congratulations. She started, she started when she was eight. And she left as a second degree because she wasn't old enough to test for her third degree when she left her college. Then she got into uh, an area where she couldn't test. Or, well, she couldn't. Uh, it was an hour to the closest studio that was in the in the organization, mm-hmm. and she went on and started to pursue her career and left for about twelve years, but then went back, and here we are. That's it, fantastic. It's just so I take it with you, fourth degree, she's going to be an instructor now. Yes. Well, actually, uh, she became an assistant instructor when she became a first degree. And then I didn't have to pay her tuition anymore. She paid her own by mm, teaching. Nice. And well, she's always been must an be instructor proud. since then. And ever since then, she's been an instructor. But now she has actually her own students now. Not just, you know, teaching through the school. Yeah, they, they are actually her students now. Well, Bill, let me ask you, now that I got you on the line, tell me what your thought is on... Being a um, a non-committed independent or centrist versus someone that uh, subscribes to either a more conservative or more liberal uh, liberal ideology, is there virtue in either one, or one versus the other? I think I think it, it it's been uh, exploited from the left to the right. You know, uh, you have to go with your heart. You have to go with what you feel is right. And sometimes it has to be the lesser of the two evils. But if, you, if you're not true to yourself, you can't be true to anyone else. Outstanding point, Bill. Thank you for your call. I appreciate it. Kudos to your daughter. And I think I agree with you on a lot of what you said. I really do. I think it's, it's important that we, when you say follow your heart for me, I say, you know, stand for something. And otherwise, you're going to fall for anything. And I think you just have to find a set of values that work for you and stick with those and, and go for it. And for me, it doesn't mean I'm always going to go with those. Uh, but I, I think it, it always means I'm always going to go against what I, you know, what I don't like, like communism and whatnot. Um, and again, that unfortunately rears its ugly head around from time to time. Anyway, your calls and more straight ahead as we wrap this thing up. But we're not gone just yet. Open Phone America on America at Night continues right after this. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez.
No hair, no care, and live on the air, it's Rich Valdez. All right, America, now I just want to remind you that tomorrow, if you're um, home around 10 in the morning, 11 in the morning, I will be on Newsmax for both hours, the 10 a.m. hour and the 11 a.m. hour uh, with Emma Reckenberg and Sean Kreisman on National Report on Newsmax TV. We'll be live and national talking about all of the stories that are um, brewing throughout the day. Uh, So check me out on Newsmax TV tomorrow, live from 10 a.m. Eastern time to noon Eastern. I'm looking forward to you joining me on Newsmax TV. Let us continue with our phone calls across America. Let's go straight to the middle of the country, WHIZ in Ohio, Zanesville, Ohio. Paul, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, Rich. You know, I think our political system is being exploited by some crooked politicians not all, but some. And D.A. Bragg is one of the most crookedest. You know, when Rachel Maddow has the nerve to say that we're not going to report some of the things, that just shows you how much that the radical lefts are squirming right now for what this D.A. Bragg has done, and Donald Trump will prevail. Yeah, I think you might be right. Honestly, Paul, I really do. I think that they don't know where to go with this one because it it just really might not work for them. And, you know, again, uh, Roger Stone was on earlier today. And if anybody missed that, check out the podcast, Rich Valdez, America at night.com. But um, his thinking was they're going to get a conviction in New York because it's easy to get a conviction in New York because you got a lot of people that just don't like Trump in New York. And then you got other people that say, well, if there's so many people that don't like Trump and the prosecutor doesn't like Trump and the uh, judge doesn't like Trump, then maybe the problem isn't all of them. Maybe the problem's Trump. And normally I might think there's some truth to that. But ultimately, I think you're right, Paul. I think that they're going to lose this one. I really do. And I hope that I'm right. I hope we're right. Anyway, I appreciate the call. Big shout out to everybody in Ohio on WHIZ. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, we're going to do it all again tomorrow. Take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez, and this is America at Night. See you tomorrow. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.